the number one thing I would tell people who are young founders is, look, if you're doing it for the first time, it is absolutely vital that you hire somebody in each of the major functions, sales, marketing, especially if you're an engineering technical founder. If you're a sales founder, then in engineering, it's much more important. Someone who knows more than you about that. If you know more than them, one of you is in the wrong job. On today's show, we are talking to Gaurav Dillon. He is the CEO and chairman of SnapLogic. This is Tech Talks. It's your twice weekly technology podcast discussing thoughts and ideas with leaders from across the industry and a little bit of tech news. If you're into technology, this is the podcast for you. Joining me on today's show, I've got Ali. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Yes, good. How was your weekend? Oh, it was good. I went to the country. You had to really think about that then. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out where in the country I went, but I forgot I went to the country. North, I saw, south, I saw east, a, west? a llama. Um, can't really tell you. Didn't have a, <laughs> I didn't have a okay. compass. Which station did you leave London from? Um, King's Cross. Probably north then. Okay, fine. No, I don't think it was north. But anyway, fine. No, it really it's ha- the no, same it direction as Cambridge. It's yes, the same. It's north. Cambridge North. North fine. of London. Fine, 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 fine. Okay. <laughs> I don't carry a compass, Dave. What? Okay, but you saw a llama. I saw a, a, a llama, yeah. Just one? J- two. There were two of them. But it was, ah. was night time, so I didn't get to see them properly. They were just sitting there chewing grass. I spent a few days at an alpaca farm uh, oh, south of London in the summer. Thank you. Yeah, my mother-in-law decided to book, them, book herself onto an alpaca farm for a week. Do you do you get to like ride them? No, you don't ride. You go. You can, you can take them for walks. You don't oh. ride alpacas. Yeah, why not? Well, only if you're like you and you're like I don't know five foot two and weigh about th- three stone. I was told I once looked like an alpaca. <laughs> I did, because my bottom teeth floppy, are skewed. Floppy ears, long nose, long neck. And like funny skewed teeth. My, my bottom teeth are skewed, so... Mm, right. So. I think there's skewed logic there. <laughs> Today's guest, though, is snap logic, not skewed logic. Oh, oh That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, today's interview is with the CEO and chair of snap logic, uh, a data-driven... Uh, kind of app integration platform from the States. This interview was recorded during Web Summit, so have a listen to the interview, and then myself and Ali will be back with some news and some commentary on the interview afterwards. We are chatting to Gaurav Dillon. You're the CEO of SnapLogic. It's nearly the end of the first full day at Web Summit. How's that day been for you? Fruitful. Yeah. It's been exhausting because I'm a bit jet-lagged. Yeah. Came in about 24 hours ago. Where did you but fly in from? I flew in from San Francisco. Right, okay, so that's about um, 14 hours. It, it, there's no non-stop. I mean, there is a non-stop, but I had to move things around, so I couldn't make that one. Right. So I, but it was fine, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good crossing. I'm blessed that I can sleep on most moving objects. Yeah, I, I, it I, is I a can great sleep gift. anywhere yeah. on anything except planes. Oh, boy, that's unfortunate. Mm, I've watched a lot of rubbish films on planes. Oh, gosh. But never well, mind. I... I <laughs> I am blessed. Maybe I'm deprived or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> it's a skill. wheels up, I'm out. It was great. Um, so, yeah. so, are you speaking at the conference? Yes, I had a panel today and yep. I have a keynote tomorrow. Uh, panel was nice. It was about growth hacking, really. Yeah, yeah. And what to watch out for and, you know, share some of the scrapes and successes we've gotten into. It was a good panel, good moderator. Yeah. How yeah. many of you were on that panel? Three of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Liam from Reuters, mm-hmm. uh, Alan from Hired, and myself. Cool. Well, look, before we get into it, let's just 
make sure that everyone knows the company that you run because sure. we do have some listeners from all over the world who I'm sure have not heard of SnapLogic. So who are SnapLogic? What's, what's right. So SnapLogic are a company that connect business applications and data together. Yep. We focus on enterprise needs. So we built a platform to respond to the kinds of needs that in Europe, AstraZeneca uh, in London, Schneider in Paris, Schneider Electric in Paris, Siemens yep. in Germany or globally, Emirates Airlines, those sorts of clients use our products to connect their new cloud things, new cloud applications, things, fancy word, uh, with all the stuff they already have. And it turns out it is horribly complicated to do, and SnapLogic's job is to remove the complexity with an Apple-like user interface, something beautiful, with a lot of scale and security and reliability, which you need when you're building an enterprise. Given that a lot of organizations are desperate to embrace new technology and emerging technology, yet they have a huge stack of legacy tech. I imagine that is a very fruitful market to be in. You know, it is a good market. It is a good market, but uh, it, it's interesting. There's nuances to this market. You know, you have to time it right. So previous to this, I co-founded Informatica, was chief executive for 12 years, built it into a, a leading public global company. And our timing on that was superb because we caught the transition from mainframes to client server in the 90s. Our timing here was a bit early. Um, we did very well in London, in New York, in San Francisco, but in some of the heartland cities, we're still a bit early. People were still thinking, ah, the cloud bit. No, no, but it has changed dramatically in the past three months. So it is getting to be a very interesting market in all kinds of lands. The you, you think it's as recent as that? Yeah, in the past three years. Sorry, three, three months. Years. Two oh, years. Three years. Three years. Three years. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I obviously cloud is not not new. No, we we we're all familiar with that. But we were talking about cloud enthusiastically six or seven years ago, and I'm always still surprised that people oh. people are very switched on to cloud now. And I just show I think it shows that there's a lot of organisations there that are only just now really embracing technology fully. It's, it's, I think it's some combination of inertia, job security, and, and, and simply um, uh, the pace of enterprise change. You know, the enterprise, I think, uh, information technology is, is huge spend annually, and most of it, particularly the enterprise, is for companies for whom stability matters more than innovation. So there's this sort of bit, the growth in the S-curve, when something becomes a safe innovation, and that is no longer an oxymoron. And I think cloud hit that for a lot of people over the past couple of years. For the more advanced adopters, it had already hit that. Uh, but for some of the mainstream companies, it is hitting it in a very nice way now. Safe innovation does sound like it's not really innovation. I mean, I suppose that's probably wrong, but do, do you view I suppose it's a necessary part of any organization, but mm -hmm. to get that hockey stick curve, sometimes yes. you have to break things quite badly. Before but people don't want that. to. In, 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 it's, it's Pavlovian. When we bring in information technology executives in most companies in the global 2000, we don't say to them, hey, good job, the Wi-Fi is working, good job, the payroll is working, good job, the internet is functioning, you know? But if something goes wrong, they typically are held to a very high standard. And I think there's a Pavlovian resistance to change amongst senior IT people. They want to innovate, but at the same time, they have been so hindered 
by the consequences they face in case there are problems that they are going to be resistant to trying innovation. But it becomes safe innovation when someone else in a company like yours with a job like yours has already used it. Yeah, no, so I was going to say, yeah, you, yeah. you've been a CEO for a long time of two huge organizations. You will be part of that community and talk to other people yes. in that role. Yes. What messages work? Is it, hey, you, your competitor is doing it, you need to get on board, or is it more <laughs> of a positive message that tends to cut through? I think it's more of a positive message. Uh, generally, we are a horizontal platform. Competitors use our products. And by the way, they, they don't mind that mm. because they're like, well, that means it's, it works for us too. You know, it's less the fear of being left behind. It's more, I, I was reading this, this article on the way in, a McKinsey article about outperforming organizations and so on. It's more that if you don't make the bold bets in a sea of change, look around us at Web Summit. There's 65, 70,000 young people who want to disrupt the world. Mm. And many of them are aiming at large established companies like banks, like retail, like communication, like media. And nobody can say they didn't see it coming. So what the McKinsey article basically said is the outlier returns for large companies is where management makes bold bets. Mm. That they're a third, 30% ahead of the rest of their peers in making bets. Now that doesn't mean they hip shoot. It means that they try things just about at the time that they meet the scale, stability, security requirements for them. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's, it's something I've learned to be very patient with. The beauty of the enterprise is they're always telling you. Like, if you do this, if you do this, we'll buy it next year. Or we put it in the budget. And so all those things, if you do them and you amalgamate them, it works out pretty well. Now, you talked about kind of tech heartlands and you kind of mentioned yes. London and, and obviously the, the, the yeah. West Coast yeah. and the States. Yeah. Lisbon has emerged as a real tech center in the last five years. It, it has, feels. yeah. Are there any other areas of the world that you see kind of doing some really interesting stuff around technology? Well, I've heard great things about Berlin, yeah. uh, which is fantastic to see it blossoming. Um, there's amazing stuff going on all over now, actually. There's a very hot startup scene in India. There's a very hot startup scene in China. You could argue that there always was, but now it's getting more formalized with venture capital, etc. Um, New Zealand, uh, Australia all have their uh, tech valleys and glens and you know so on going on. Um, you know, I think I think Silicon Valley is no longer the only place to do amazing things. It's kind of my takeaway from this. So look, you've you've, you've started and scaled very successfully two businesses. What what do you think it is that those environments or, or moments in time seem to have where you get that explosion right. in terms of creativity and companies and growth. So, so this is where I'm going to say I can't speak for everybody. No, of course. Right? I, and and the, the danger of people who uh, knock on wood done some things is they, they forget the three little words, I don't know. But truthfully, I don't know what I would do to build a challenger bank. I may have opinions or some sneaking suspicions, but I don't know, mm. right? So to give you sort of the background on Informatica and SnapLogic, they were both a repotting, as you would, a replatforming of big business technology trends. Informatica's success came as much from the wit and wisdom of myself and my co-founder and all the amazing people who worked there as it did from our timing was superb when the mainframe was going away People needed to go to client-server applications and they needed to connect them and also connect back to the old stuff. And that was a fantastic time for us and other companies of that era. Now, with SnapLogic, the movement is from client-server to the cloud. And it's true for everybody. 
it's not just a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed thing. I uh, was speaking to a friend who's a partner in a law firm, and I, we have a, one of the large European law firms as a customer, and I'm talking to them on Monday in London. And I, he was at my house on Saturday. Where were we? We were at somebody's house, and we're having a glass of wine. It's a good thing to do on Saturday nights. And I'm like, hey, so what, what do you want from your IT department? You know, I'm going to go talk to these people. He says, look, I want the cloud. I'm like, well, why do you care? If it's squirrels or cloud or rain? He said, I care because I'm doing a deal of an Israeli technology company that's being acquired by a U.S. multinational where the acquisition team is based in the Netherlands. Mm. I don't want to have to log into stuff. I want to use a website, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and which is what business people call SaaS applications, websites. So if I have a website, then IT is not getting in the way. It's actually helping me. Mm. You know, I was like, huh, there it is. You know, right, right at the point of engagement, at the point of making something happen. And the same is true in every business, right? So I think my advice would be to find a tipping point, particularly in business technology, where there's going to be a big change. Um, there was a famous line in Gone with the Wind where Rhett Butler says, fortunes are made in the construction or destruction of empires, you know? So if you see a new empire, the cloud is a new thing. It's massive, it's on a scale of personal computing, which is hundreds of billions of dollars. Of course you can find your way in there. You'll engage directly with the cloud, and then indirectly through feedback, you'll find a place, a protected area in which you can grow your business. So I, I think that's really it for infrastructure. Okay. For consumer businesses, I couldn't tell you. How do you get the next Facebook? Next Twitter, I'm not even sure they know. <laughs> One thing to finish on and just to ask you very quickly. Um, I, we've, we often talk to startup founders who it's suggested may not be the best CEO for their own business. Mm. Um, you've obviously been C C CTO, sorry, CEO rather of two businesses. Yes. Looking back at your own experience, what changed from your first experience to your second experience that you think has made you a better CEO that you would try and pass on? <laughs> you know, I, I, I will shout out to uh, my upbringing. Um, as the first grandchild, um, very secure in being able to say, I don't know, and being able to recruit people who knew more than I did to do the jobs that they do. Yeah. So I would say some things have changed, you know, um, the, the, the timing and the, the amount of cash you need to raise in SaaS has been pretty breathtaking. Mm -hmm. We've raised about $200 million for SnapLogic. I raised 13 and a half, 13.5 for Informatica and I had cash the day we went public. Wow. You know, So things have changed, it's more expensive and SaaS's disruption is partially economic. But outside of that, you're renting instead of buying, right? So, so the economics of the business are very different. But outside of that, I would say the number one thing I would tell people who are young founders is, look, if you're doing it for the first time, it is absolutely vital that you hire somebody in each of the major functions, sales, marketing, especially if you're an engineering technical founder. If you're a sales founder than in engineering, it's much more important. Someone who knows more than you about that. If you know more than them, one of you is in the wrong job. An interesting point and very enlightening to finish on. Look, I really appreciate your time. Have you got a busy day? You said you're giving a keynote tomorrow. A new keynote tomorrow. Not, not as busy tomorrow. I like to keep them clear for keynotes. You know how it is. In the yeah, office, yeah, you yeah. don't have time to get the thoughts together. But, uh, but I like to reserve a couple hours to really get my act together before a keynote. Uh, so 
not as busy, but then the travels begin, and I'll be all over Europe and the Middle East uh, in, uh, in Dubai. Uh, for days and days, cities on end. <laughs> well, I hope that they are productive and positive trips, and thank you for your time. Thank you. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure where you'd want to start with this, but um, I find it fascinating. Right, I do find this fascinating because um, cloud, when you look at the spend in tech, is the area that gets the most spend. And I've often said, you know, kind of cloud's been around for a long time. Why is it now that there's all this investment going on? And Gurav gives that context brilliantly by talking about it being the last three years where the market has really grown because of this idea that... Three years? He said three months. Yeah, but then he corrected it. Oh, sorry, three years. I thought yeah, yeah. so. That was quick. <laughs> um, because he talks about safe innovation yeah. and we're, hit, we're hitting the safe innovation curve. Mm. Uh, and this idea that, yes, with IT there's spend, or with technology rather, there's spend and stability, and stability matters more than innovation to mm-hmm. most businesses. I think especially the, the larger ones. I thought it was quite interesting when he was talking about the tech people who are supposed to be these kind of risk takers moving forward, moving to new innovative new innovative solutions. Mm. Um, and these people are just scared to make that change. Why? Because if something goes wrong, people are like, guys, what the F is happening? Yeah. Um, but if something goes right, he's so true. And we never say thank you, do we? It, it's like a utility. Yeah. It, 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 you know, we've talked about technology being a utility for a number of years now. Well, that is exactly what mm. happened. You know, utility, mm. uh, public services, mm. anything along those lines, you expect it to work. And if it doesn't, yeah. lose your mind. Yeah. Exactly. And I think because tech is now so synonymous with so much of our lives mm. and we expect to be online all the time. Yeah. It's not like, oh, look, isn't this technology doing these things? Isn't it fascinating that it can do these things? It's just... Why the hell isn't it working? Exactly. And I I think it's interesting that he brought up the kind of FOMO aspects on it. Maybe that's why people have hit the safe innovation space because Mm. um, he talks about other companies using using this type of method um, and companies don't want to feel like they get left behind. Yeah. Um, So I like the fact that that's kind of how he sells his product now. Um, Yeah, yeah. Which is great. Service now, yeah. Linking into... I suppose this whole picture is around the kind of the idea of timing as well in the market when you're taking when you're taking something to, to to business. And I love the fact that he says that they were right on the money with Informatica in the nineties, yeah. yeah. but he actually felt that they were a little bit early yeah. with Snap Logic, which is which is interesting. And then talking about patience, you know, he's 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 realised that when you're talking to enterprises. You know, they say to you, if you do this and you do that, and a year's time will buy from yeah. you, actually, that's not a bad thing, and mm. that you have got to show that patience and be very pragmatic in the approach, uh, and that's a consequence of this safe innovation piece. Well, does does that always work, though? Do companies always say it? Because technology is changing so quickly. Mm. What businesses need now, if you do that, if you do this now... In a year time, would it be? But this is this is saying that yes, whilst technology is moving quickly, actually there's a lot of organisations that, as he says, aren't shooting from the hip. There's a lot of Mm, organisations who who are being, again, quite pragmatic and quite safe about the way that they transform their business. They don't they don't have the ability, or because of that because of that fear of getting called out when it goes wrong in a very high profile way, they don't they can't break things to the point to create that hockey stick. It's interesting, isn't it? It's 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 not the the normal narrative that we apply to technology. No, definitely not. I don't think it's a normal. Oh, 
I just don't think we can class technology and I don't know where I'm going with this, but I don't think we can class technology the way he was describing it when he said um, in the interview about consumer facing, uh, mm. not consumer, but like goods businesses. Right. You can't really class them in the same way. He, he said that it's really important to be able to say, I don't know. At one point, when you asked him the the seat where, where oh, yeah, things yeah. boom, he said it's really important to say I don't know, um, and he said that with with customer facing business, I mean, like goods businesses, he doesn't mm. know. But I don't think you can class any sort of technology service business as almost a a goods business. It's so it's completely different ways of working. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Do you get what I'm trying to say? You can say I don't know. It's fine. No, no, I do, I do. I, it's I th- I th- I mean, you know, what he was getting at as well was um, the enterprise technology aspect of it. Mm. He used that quote from Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind. Oh, yes. Um, you can find a gap with enterprise and a niche in the market. Mm-hmm. With consumer, and I think what you're trying to say is it's a lot harder to predict the consumer market than it exactly. is the enterprise market. Exactly. So um, it's very difficult to, pre- to predict the next Facebook and exactly yes that's yeah. exactly what I'm trying to say you put it in words quite nicely uh, yeah. and to that he says I don't know and I love that honesty mm. and not many people do that anymore because people will just kind of comment and um, yeah they'll, no. they'll be big headed about stuff you know what I mean they, well, they'll, they'll try to make a bold prediction but without foundation where it's he's he talks about his you know why is he right to why is he a good CEO he talks about his childhood and his upbringing that he was taught that mm. I don't know is a perfectly fine phrase yeah. uh, and that then seems to seep through into his hiring philosophy and I love this idea that you know your core team is absolutely crucial mm. and if you hire someone into a core a head of core function yeah. and they know more sorry you know more, more than, than they, they do the one job. of you is in the wrong job yeah I also thought that was absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant because it's so true do you know Richard Branson works on that model as well does he yeah that he said he he can he has all this money to do whatever but he hires people that knows more than him because they can do the job better yeah that's why he says your number one asset in your company is your and whilst whilst we've often you know whilst it's often said you know hire people that are better from than you hire people that are better from you so you know that's a mantra that I think we've heard quite a lot but then sitting there and going you know if, if that's not the case one of you's in the wrong job mm. is a really nice clear Thing, yeah. next step yeah, yeah yeah you know it's not just saying oh you've got it wrong it's like no one of you's in the wrong in the wrong job and maybe a bit of introspection maybe it's you maybe it's you because not all founders make the best CEOs. Yeah. Uh, it ties into that kind of, he is a CEO that comes into businesses and is a CEO. Mm-hmm. And a lot of startups need that person who can fulfill that job. A lot of founders fancy themselves as CEOs, but aren't. And when you have a look at the most successful businesses, they take a step back and go, no, this is what I'm yeah. good at and this is where I'm passionate about. Exactly. And I've got to hire other people who can do these roles for me. So it's, it's, a nice, it's nice to hear it from mm-hmm. someone who's been founder, head of, Informatica um, and also now Snap Logic. Um, one other point that I wanted to touch on that I thought was was fascinating. He raised thirteen point five million for Inf- Informatica. He's raised two hundred million for uh, Snap Logic, just as a indication of how much more uh, expensive tech has got. We often talk about tech becoming more affordable. Mm. Um, 
Oh, we, we've had, um, let's have a think, we've had Hybra on the show talking about microsatellites. And, you know, the, the, the cost has gone from a billion per microsatellite to a million per microsatellite. We talk about the, the, the cost of scaling enterprise cloud at, at a large scale has come down. And we then talk about innovation happening because technology is cheaper. But getting a business off the ground is, is not cheaper. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really interesting point that we haven't touched on before. I also do think. Um, do you think it's more expensive getting the, getting a business off the ground? Do you think it's more expensive, or do you think there's just more interest from potential investors and they're willing to spend more money? Look, I'm, I, I look. Neither of us are experts here. No. But going, but going on what Gurav is saying, it yeah. is just more expensive to run a technology business. Um, yeah. The cost. I mean, and, we've and never just, run a technology business, yeah. have we? <laughs> It just, it goes against the normal narrative. And I love that. It's an interesting perspective. Mm, very much so. But at I've, the end of the day, yeah. what they're doing is essentially making it cheaper for, for us to use. Yeah, is that yeah. not right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just Instead of having to log into things, it's just a website. SaaS, you know. So there we go. Exactly. Also, Berlin, Berlin's a tech hub. Did you know that? What's yes. turning into? I didn't know that. I don't know really what's there. Okay, fine. I find it interesting that he talks about China formalizing and... You know, mm. he's in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley isn't necessarily the best place these days, or the only yeah. place. No, exactly, not the only place. Not the I, only th- place. I think it's still great. Do, that, do you know oh, Mark sure. from Shark from Shark Tank? Do you know? No. Do you, you don't watch Shark Tank? I know it's the American Dragon's Den. Yes, yes. Okay, so Mark, he's like their tech guy from Shark Tank. He comes from Silicon Valley. He is great. You sound like you're crushing slightly. Uh, no, no, I just I, I admire his intelligence. <laughs> Right, uh, I think we will go to the advert break. When we come back, we've got a piece of technology news. Uh, But thank you, Gaurav, for coming on the show and being our guest. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Quick bit of technology news to round off this Tuesday show. Facebook commitment to free speech will piss people off, Zuckerberg says. Facebook pissing people off? That's newsworthy. Um, Would you believe it? Or or, or Zuckerberg pissing people off. Now, this is interesting. So, um, basically, at uh, the Silicon Slopes Tech Summit in Salt Lake City... Uh, Zuckerberg has come out and defended Facebook's decision not to ban political ads, saying that the company will stand for free expression. This is um, contrary to what Twitter have decided. Uh, They have banned it. But he's basically said that, um, yeah, the political advertising uh, will not be banned. He described it as a stand for the principles of free speech. One that will piss a lot of people off. He's acknowledged that Cambridge Analytica data breach might have been avoided by better monitoring, but has said that from a business perspective, um, where it's not absolutely clear what to do, we should err on the side of greater expression. I don't know what you think, but to me this just sounds like a, we don't really know what to do, so we're going to do nothing. Yeah, do you think? I think if you go on reading what he says, I think there was a, a little bit that says this this year he'd, he'd rather be understood 
Um, he'd rather just express his voice and be understood. Did you read the whole article? I did. Um, of course I, I did. Okay, I just checking. <laughs> um, I kind of think with this type of situation, you're either for it or you're against it. And I think he's taking the stance. He's like, no, I'm for free of speech. I get that everyone may be against it. I get it's going to piss a lot of people off. But that's kind of what I stand for. And I don't want my company to change. It is a slightly new it's, narrative from him, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of like a, yeah. rather than trying to be everything for everyone... I'm just it's gonna... like no now actually you know what he talk, he does you're right he does talk about being understood because of trust mm. now I, I kind of like oh hang on a minute they're, they're being a little they're fudging a little bit whether or not whether or not a, a, a political ad is is correct or not there's that whole piece about Elizabeth Warren's team put what they knew was a false advert into Facebook to see whether it'd be picked up and it wasn't but Facebook are like we're going to allow stuff because it's too difficult to decide if stuff's false or not but mm. their their stance being we're not going to ban this stuff because we're for free expression is clear it's it's a it's 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 a bit of a head fuck this one if i'm perfectly honest yeah maybe maybe you're right they just don't know what to do <laughs> um but yeah he, he's trying to phrase it or he's trying to to present it as them coming down very firmly in mm. a particular direction you know communicating is not my best thing this is a new style from Zuckerberg. Uh, but this is a new approach. I think we're going to piss off a lot of people. But frankly, the old approach was pissing off a lot oh, of people. Yeah. So let's try to do something different. I giggled at it, that. It's like he's trying to control the narrative. Desperately. I don't think he can. If I'm honest with you, you can't decide. It, this goes back to what your mum told you. Don't believe everything you see on the internet. But people do. No, but they shouldn't. But they do. No one does. Who does? Lots of people oh. do. And it's getting harder with things like deep fake, you know? And, and what, what is he supposed to do, though? How, how are they supposed to just control that? Either you ban it and don't let people do it. You, you can't say if something's true or not. Unless you say, unless there's a way to go about stuff, you can only post if it's fact. Oh, it's, you know, with social media and social media platforms, it is one so of the biggest challenges I? of the 21st century. But if you go and build a social media platform and encourage people to share content surely it is on you to then you can't abdicate responsibility on that if you've given the world the platform on which it happens no i'm just, i'm just thinking how is he gonna you can't tell people what to post we're not robots you know what i mean no but he's built the platform for us to post it on so it's surely down to him to exactly and that's why he's saying go for it do what you want to say free speech free mm. will i'm on his side for this one i really am interesting and you need to you need to know not to believe everything you read, especially on Facebook. Come on. Maybe it is that simple. Maybe maybe it's, you know, don't talk to strangers. It's just got to become this mantra. Don't believe what you read online. Don't believe. Don't believe. Don't believe. Don't believe. Unless you, like, really want to. Like, we know that it's not flat. Well, there some people, people believe Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're not gonna, I'm not going to read something on Facebook. We know mermaids are real. Like, we're not going to read something on Facebook and it's going to change our mind. You're probably just destroying some people's dreams here. Mermaids are real. Okay. I do think that. Uh, right, look, thank you for tuning in to today's show on that bombshell. Mermaids are real. There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, we hope you have a lovely week. Ali, thank you for joining me on the show. Pleasure. Thanks. Bye, guys.